Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of this replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. HPV, or human papillomavirus, is a virus that causes cancer and is entirely preventable if someone receives the vaccine in time before they are exposed. However, according to the Centers for Disease Control, the rates of vaccination locally is only about 34% for girls, 15% for boys, and these rates are some of the lowest in the nation. How come? How can such a great new vaccination not be given to as many people as possible? And what can we do about it? Well, we have Judy Strait-Jones from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition, along with Senator Rosalind Baker on the line from Maui, to share more about the importance of prevention of this deadly disease and about a touching documentary that is going to be shown later this month. Judy, Senator Rosalind, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, Senator, you've been personally touched by cervical cancer, and this has become a really important mission for you. You've supported the Hawaii, the American Cancer Society for years, Hawaii branch. Tell me a little bit about why this is important for you. Well, in 1976, I was diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer. And uh, at the time, I was curious, you know, I did my second opinion. Fortunately, it was uh, at uh, the earliest of stages because I was getting regular uh, pap smears. Uh, but the doctor said to me, hmm, your husband probably gave it to you, which made me think that even back then, people, our doctors thought there was a connection between some kind of a virus and people uh, contracting cervical cancer. So when there, a vaccine came on the market that could actually inoculate against cancer, I thought this was a wonderful thing and wanted to see what kind of public policies we could put in place to encourage everybody, boys and girls now, uh, to get vaccinated so that they don't have to worry about uh, having this particular kind of cancer. It's not just cervical, but it's also anal and some other cancers. And I guess everybody remembers when uh, Sarah Fawcett got cancer, that was the cancer that she had, was anal cancer. Well, and it certainly is important because the vaccination is available. And, you know, it was originally when it first came out, which was within the last 10 years or so, they marketed it mainly to young girls. They didn't really market this to young boys because girls were the ones getting cervical cancer. But then further studies, as you mentioned, what happened to you is that, you know, doctors kind of knew, hey, they're getting this virus from exposure to boys. So why would we not vaccinate the boys? And it almost makes me wonder if we had decided to vaccinate both boys and girls, maybe that would have made the rates higher. Maybe we would have had a greater acceptance. But you're absolutely right. About 14 million people, including teens, become infected with HPV every year, and the infection can cause cervical, vaginal, vulvar cancers in women, penile cancer in men, anal cancer, cancer in the back of the throat, and genital warts in both men and women. So there's a lot of medical implications to this. Now, take us back to the 70s. When you found this out, you were diagnosed with cervical cancer. The doctor said, well, you must have gotten it from your husband because back then they had a suspicion but not definite proof that it was potentially related to some type of infection. What happened next? Uh, I had a choice. Uh, I could get pregnant immediately or I could um, 
have the surgery and have uh, the cervix removed. And so because in those days, cancer was such a scary diagnosis that I didn't want to take any chances. I, I was um, professional at the time and uh, very involved in uh, political uh, activities back in D.C. And I just said, no, nope, take it out. You know, if I ever decide I want to have children, I can adopt, no problem. But I do not want this cancer in my body, not one more minute. Well, and, you know, as as people say cancer is scary, I still think there's such a huge fear about having cancer even now, particularly cervical cancer, almost as much as there was back then. Maybe we know more about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the treatment is is any easier. So you made the tough decision. You had you had the surgery. And have you been cancer-free since then? Yes. Now, when you hear but about... I had a lot of cancer in my family, so it was something that uh, I knew a little bit about. Unfortunately, I've had an opportunity to get more educated about it, but, you know, it's this vaccine is so important because it it it's another way of helping to prevent. And, of course, if we continue to make sure that um, women and young girls get um, pap smears, then we've got those two populations really covered. Well, that's the interesting thing about pap smears. The Papanicolaou smear has been done for years for screening for cervical cancer and checking for abnormal cells. And yet now we know cervical cancer is directly related to HPV. So part of the goal is that if we can vaccinate more women against HPV, then we really won't see any evidence of any increase. We'll see a dramatic decrease of cervical cancer rates. But at some point, pap smears may be obsolete because if we've had enough women get vaccinated and therefore they won't need to check for cervical cancer because their risk would be minimized. Wouldn't that be great? But the thing that I think uh, we want to make sure is we want to get people vaccinated, but we don't want them to let their guard down because you never know how these viruses are going to morph. So it's important to use the best science we have now and the best uh, prevention that we have available. And, of course, a key to that is getting girls and boys vaccinated uh, at, at ages 11 and 12, particularly. Well, and tell me, when you hear people who say, I don't want to immunize my child or, you know, my son or daughter because I don't think they'll ever get it, or naively think that, well, if they're not sexually active, it's not possible, so they don't need it to get vaccinated yet. What sort of response do you have to those folks? You know, I think one of the things that perhaps we did early on was we couched it in terms of, you know, um, this helps to prevent an STD. The key message is this helps to prevent cancer. And as diseases morph, you want to make sure that you're doing everything to protect your child. You know, the other messages about, you know, how to protect yourself from a pregnancy or other kinds of things are can be done um, later. But the message that this is a cancer prevention, this is going to keep your son or daughter from getting cancer um, is so important because those cancers left untreated not only can kill, but they can also severely maim an individual who's gotten a cancer, hasn't had it detected, 
and lets it go unchecked. So, and they're they're not nice cancers, these ones. So it's really important, I think, to set any kind of stereotypes aside and say, if it were my son or daughter, I would make sure that they got the best cancer protection that they could, and that would be getting an HPV vaccination. Well, and I think you brought up a really important point, which is we know that exposure to HPV is linked to cancer. If we can immunize young boys and girls ages 11 or 12, or any time up till I think the current age is up through 26, that they still are providing the vaccination, you need to vaccinate someone before they're exposed and not necessarily wait until the exposure has happened. And one of the things that we don't really have a good handle on is where does the virus happen to be caught anyway? You know, it's it's a virus that is out there in the community. Where do the boys get it? We just don't know. Science doesn't have enough information about exactly how they can get it. You have to touch another infected person, but how do they know if they have it if they have no physical signs or symptoms? So the key is to get vaccinated before exposure. If you get vaccinated after exposure, it isn't going to work. Now, that's true, and it's and it's really important that we get that message out that it's important. I, I know it's a three series vaccination, and some that puts people off. But you know, if that's all it takes to make sure that you're not going to get this these kinds of cancers, I think that's just it's something that I would hope every parent would want for their children. Well, and it certainly sounds like for all of your nieces and nephews and extended family, you would want to make sure that they received this vaccination before they had any exposure or had any chance of of getting it. Now, there's an exciting movie premiere that's going to come up. There's a documentary that was produced that really describes and, and follows along the story of five women who were infected with HPV and what sort of cancers have developed. And I think it's another way to get the message out. What sort of efforts do you know of, Senator Baker, that are going on now to try and help get the word out to young boys and girls and their parents? Well, there is a a campaign that's going to be starting very soon, if it hasn't started already, that uh, brings the film to folks' awareness. Uh, It's going to be shown at the Kahala Theaters, I want to say on the... October 22nd, I have it written down. I'm cheating. I'm looking at my notes. I knew it was coming later in October. And it's a, I think it's going to be a really uh, good presentation. And uh, hopefully we'll have lots of folks come and see it. But there's going to be all kinds of activities in the newspaper and social media. Um, and hopefully we can interest uh, some of our other media partners in helping us publicize it. Well, and I think it's very important because, as you mentioned, this personally touched you in the 1970s and 76, that you were diagnosed with this. And had you had the opportunity to be vaccinated beforehand, you probably would have and definitely would have tried to prevent developing cancer, which... You know, that big C word, that cancer word, it still scares people even now, no matter what our techniques to treat it are. And so that's that's definitely something that I appreciate you taking the time to discuss and to be open about and to share what happened to you so that we can help prevent, even if we just prevent one case of cervical cancer or rectal cancer in boys or girls, it would just be so important to know that we did something 
to help them so they wouldn't have to go through the same treatment. Absolutely, because, um, you know, it, if, if you do want to have children and you have cervical cancer, the, the treatment means that you're not going to be able to get pregnant. So, you know, it's, it's very drastic for uh, young women and who, you know, want to have a biological child. So uh, I think it's very important that we get the word out that these cancers can be prevented for young women and young men. Uh, because getting those cancers uh, that men can get can also be very uh, damaging to their reproductive system. So why not uh, take that sort of ounce of prevention and make sure that we can sort of check that off the list of a cancer we don't have to worry about? Absolutely. Well said. I want to thank you, Senator Baker, for taking the time to be on air with us today. I know you have a busy schedule, but thank you so much for sharing your story and hopefully helping to prevent cervical cancer and the various types of problems, penile cancer, anal cancer, all sorts of different problems for the boys and girls, future men and women of our islands. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you a lot. All right. Well, that was Senator Rosalind Baker calling in directly from Maui. And now Judy Strait-Jones is here from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition. And we're talking about HPV vaccination. And Dr. Baker shared with, uh, sorry, Senator Baker, I just I just gave her a, gave her a boost. Um, but Senator Baker shared with us her situation where she was diagnosed with this. And you've had an opportunity to watch the documentary that we're going to be talking about how cervical cancer and any type of HPV-related cancer has directly affected, in the documentary, five different women, but certainly there are men that get affected as well. Exactly. And I think that um, if if anyone were to watch the trailer for this movie, when I send out any emails to my friends, to colleagues, to partners, I always say to them, take a look at this trailer, because the trailer... Um, you can find the trailer if you go to YouTube and just say, uh, type in someone, um, someone you love, and it will come up. And if you watch the trailer, y- your life will be changed forever. I, I, I totally think that it will be. Um, it's shocking. And the young women that are talked about, uh, that talk about their cancers, um, their families talk about them. Sometimes it's the husband. Sometimes it's the woman, and uh, she's talking about how it affected her. Um, this is really a very powerful documentary. Uh, the coalition is delighted that we can bring this to Hawaii and to the uh, folks that are going to see it at the Kahala Theater on October 22nd. It starts around 7, a little bit after 7. Uh, tickets can be purchased. They're virtual tickets. They can be purchased uh, on the website, uh, the Hawaii Immunization Coalition website, which is www.immunizehawaii.org. And the tickets are just $5. And so that's certainly very reasonable. And we're thinking this this will bring the type of awareness about HPV and what it causes and the diseases is something as simple as genital warts. There's lots and lots of people that get genital warts. There's many types of genital warts. That's caused by HPV. And so the, the, vi- the, the virus can be, um, you can be, protect yourself by getting immunized with this HPV vaccine. 
Well, and it's certainly something that we want to talk about and we're going to discuss along today. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We just heard from Senator Rosalind Baker, who was over calling in from Maui, and I'm here with Judy Strait-Jones from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition, and we're talking today about human papillomavirus, HPV, and the associated (laughs) vaccination that can help prevent any cancer related to this viral infection. And we're discussing today about a documentary that's coming up, but also about why this vaccination is important, who needs to get it, why there's a series of three, and how important it is that both men and women get protected. Now, if you've got a question, if you've ever had the vaccination, or you have any questions about it, you can join us at 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. Now, Judy, tell me, do you know people who have gotten the vaccination? Yes, I can tell you that my son, who is almost 26... He and his girlfriend both got the three shots. Now, that's usually over about a six-month period. Uh, However, if it's a longer period than that, say you've gotten uh, shot number one and shot number two, and then you don't get the third shot until later, you do not have to start the series uh, all over again. The body, the immune system will remember that you've had number one, number two. The important thing is to get all three shots. And after you get that, you have absolutely excellent coverage for uh, against HPV, any type of virus, almost all of the viruses, not every single one of them, but almost all of them. Well, we've got a caller on the line. We have Dee on the line from Hilo. Dee, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. What can we do for you today? I appreciate what you ladies are doing in regards to community help and whatnot, but I'm wondering what we're saying in regards to absence and also I know of a young girl who actually had a fatality regarding this immunization. There was a young girl in Waimea, Hawaii on the mountain here on the Big Island. Both of her parents are doctors and she actually died after the vaccination. Okay, so Dee, what was, so you were concerned that we're talking about HPV vaccination and you know somebody who's had an extremely serious adverse effect from that. I don't, I don't know the person individually, but okay. there was a young girl, and this was probably a couple years ago now, who unfortunately had a reaction to, the, to that immunization and unfortunately lost her life. But I think for the young people, in regards to preventing a virus like this, abstinence should be first and foremost. And, you know, I mean, maybe there's an element of society where certainly an immunization, but I don't think for the norm of of the general population, I think the general moral population would immediately sway towards uh, abstinence. And I actually know of a very nice young lady who has uterine cancer presently right now. I won't mention her name. And it's like, well, possibly she got this from her husband. Um, she's had two husbands. You know, I'm just thinking as society in general, first we say abstinence and then we start to go to these points. And yes, there was a situation, perhaps folks could Google it, where there was a young girl in Waimea on the Big Island of Hawaii who unfortunately had the immunization, did not survive. Well, Dee, certainly I respect your comments, and 
the thought about abstinence is always an important one if we're talking about a virus that only affects people related to sexual activity. Unfortunately, the virus can happen, and we're not quite sure exactly how someone might acquire it, but you don't necessarily have to be sexually active to acquire the virus. Mm -hmm. So the vaccination actually is going to help people sexually active or not. Now, yes, true, sexual activity can lead to a greater chance of exposure to the virus, but it's it's not the only mechanism for which you could get that. And so that becomes sort of the conundrum. And I, I absolutely agree that people have their own personal preference as far as how to expose their children and family to concepts regarding sexuality. When we look at it from a medical perspective, you know, I kind of like to look at it like the hepatitis B shot. It's a very similar shot. You have three shots in a series. You get one and the second one. The third one is about five months later. So it's a course that takes place over six months. Hepatitis B is an infection you can get through, you know, tainted blood products, through blood and body fluids, through sexual activity that regardless of how you get exposed to the virus, or the, the hepatitis B virus in that case, Getting the vaccination prior to exposure is absolutely essential. If you've already been exposed to it, obviously the vaccination is not going to do very much for you because that exposure has already occurred. So if we were to take away the idea of sexuality from the HPV vaccination and look at it from a scientific basis, I think recommending a vaccine for kids to prevent cancer is a good idea. Um, the other question that you're the thing that you brought up, I, I was trying to Google it as I was talking with you. Um, to look up fatality regarding HPV uh, vaccination, and I haven't found it yet. I will take a look at it. You know, I think one of the concerns that comes up is that cervical cancer, although in some cases treatable, is not always treatable and can often lead to mortality, as with some of the other types of cancer. So when we look at HPV, we've got to look at anal and rectal cancer, uh, penile cancer for boys. We've got to look at cervical, vaginal, vulvar cancer, but also we're looking at cancers in the back of the throat, the oropharynx, which is that area sort of back towards where your tongue is and beyond. So when we look at these various locations, we have to say, you know what, if we wait to give someone vaccination until they've already been exposed, it just isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that we're trying to vaccinate kids before they'd ever get exposed from intentional or unintentional exposure, or else they'll never get the benefit. And again, if we just remove how they might get exposed, because it's not the only way, sexual activity, if we remove that exposure source and we look at it like a hepatitis B or, you know, hepatitis, well, hepatitis A is a little different, but B is a really good model of an example because of the number of vaccinations required and also the time frame. If we look at it from that perspective, I don't necessarily think people would avoid hep B vaccination for the same reasons. Right. Yeah, and your so, point is very well yeah. stated, doctor. And, you know, I worked in the cleaning industry and I've been, uh, and I've been informed about hepatitis. So you take your procedures seriously and not handle anything that looks, you know, for lack of a better word, suspicious. But I do reiterate what you ladies are saying, and I, I mean, I reiterate what I said. You ladies are doing a good job, and I just want to put my two cents. Well, and, and like appreciate it. Well stated, I understand it's not a perfect world, and definitely the prevention. But, you know, in that particular situation, um, I do know of that one case, and I think that, that you know, in, you know, I work with the public, I work with hundreds of people a day, and it's the same is true with the flu shot. I mean, I don't, 
they offered the flu shot just the other day, and I sort of dissuade for that. So maybe I'm one of those folks that's kind of anti-immunization, uh, but not to the point where, fortunately, we don't have things like measles and whatever. So I can see when you put it in that category. Well, Dee, I think we just lost you, but I do appreciate you calling in and also sharing your story because it's important that people understand that there may be some other options as far as families and learning about how to discuss with their children sexuality and ways in which we can make sure that the right message comes across. Today, we're kind of talking about the vaccination perspective. And so, you know, your comments are duly noted. And honestly, I think that if there have been some major fatalities related to the vaccination, I'll take a look, see if I can find those. Not every not everyone's experience with the shot is going to be absolutely perfect. But hopefully, as we've seen in a lot of other situations, people will get protection and they will not suffer those horrible consequences that you mentioned of the family that you knew. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Judy Strait-Jones from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about HPV, what it can do, what the vaccination actually does help protect. And we'll try and figure out if there's any way that we can establish how you get the HPV. How do you trace it? I'm looking at various websites and just trying to find an actual source of this is where you could get it from. But I think as with an influenza virus, it's out there and people get exposed and Nobody wants it until they get sick, and then they still don't want it. But if you have any questions or you want to join us or you have a thought that you'd like to share, it's definitely your chance. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Stuck in traffic? HPR makes that a good time to catch up on news and music of the world. Aloha, this is Craig DeSilva of Evening Concert, and it's my pleasure to bring you great classical music on your drive home. If we make your daily commute a little easier, show your support during Celebration 2015. We'll be ready for your calls on the 13th, and we're ready now for your online donation at hawaiipublicradio.org. Let's make good time together. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Judy Strait-Jones from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition. And we were just hearing from Dee and Hilo, who had some thoughts on HPV vaccination. And we mentioned that we would try and find how you get exposed to HPV to begin with. Now, if you have a question or a concern, you can join us at any time, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Judy, you've got the answer. How do you get exposed to HPV? Well, unfortunately, it's uh, fairly easy to do, and many, many people, thousands of people have been exposed to HPV. You can get it uh, by skin-to-skin contact. Uh, That was one of the ways that I was rather shocked, you know, shaking hands with somebody, hugs, that kind of thing. If there is an open cut, you can get HPV. It's kind of like hepatitis B in that way. And also, of course, we've mentioned that you can get it uh, from unprotected vaginal sex, anal sex, or oral sex. Now, condoms do help protect in some way so that people don't get HPV, but they're not totally 
um, foolproof when it comes to condoms. And then the third way of getting it is mother to baby through pregnancy and during labor or nursing. So there's several different ways. Some of them have nothing to do with a sexual um, approach or orientation, but just the fact that it is such a strong vaccine, uh, a virus, and um, it just hangs around. Um, everybody's had an opportunity to get HPV virus over their lifetime. Well, and the other part of this that I think bears discussion is the fact that, you know, there's over 100 different types of HPV, 30 of which are primarily associated with different types of a skin and sexual transmission. And out of those, some of those viruses can be associated or definitely are associated with cancer. The hard part is that, you know, when you get it, even if you get an exposure to high-risk HPV, the ones that usually cause cancer, you know, the problem is that the exposure does not necessarily have to lead to an immediate response of the body. And there may be no symptoms. Well, no symptoms, but then you add to the fact that it can take weeks, months, or even years after exposure before symptoms, if they do develop, actually happen or the virus is detectable. So it's almost impossible to determine when someone was exposed because you really don't know when that took place. It could have been the first time somebody had sex. It could have been the the 20th time. But you're right. You're absolutely right that we cannot tell when somebody got that, that virus. Well, and that's why, you know, we talk about immunization. It's That's why they're targeting young children, because yes. we want to try and do the immunization prior to any exposure. For when the vaccine came out, I remember I was, boy, this is probably about 10 or more years ago, because I was over 26, and I was kind of bummed out that I couldn't get it. I'm like, but wouldn't that be great? I'd love to be protected against cervical cancer. And at some point in life, because the virus is so ubiquitous in 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 humans, that we often see that it's a little too late to get a vaccination after a certain age. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes the real question is, you know, if if you've been over that age group when the vaccine was available, are you, do you still have a risk? And the answer is yes, you do. Yes, you do. And that's, that's sort of the concern, which is why we continue to do the screening, pap smears and various other types of procedures. Let's talk with a couple of callers. We've got Ashley on the line from Waikiki. Ashley, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you. What can we do for you? Hi, yes. I was wondering if you could ask one of your viewers who is against the vaccine for HPV um, why maybe they allowed their child to get vaccinated for hepatitis B but not HPV. Um, I'm a nurse here in Waikiki, and I've never been able to actually ask that question. <laughs> okay. So I really, I really am curious the thought process behind it. Well, and there's a little shout-out. So if anybody out there has allowed their child to get vaccinated for hepatitis B, but not HPV. We'd like to hear from you. And maybe we can help answer Ashley's question, which is, why would you say yes to one and not the other one? And uh, Ashley, I hope that would... What is your suspicion? I'm curious. What is your thought, Ashley, about why that might be the case? Maybe because it's kind of new and maybe the way it's been presented to people. Um, And then everyone's sort of been vaccinated for hepatitis B, so it's just sort of standard at this point. I don't know. That's just my guess, but I really don't know. That's why I called. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm curious because I I suspect, and, and, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong on this, I suspect that the reason why people have not gotten the HPV vaccination is because of what Dee called in and, and brought up, which is that it's related to sexual activity. 
And I think that although so is hepatitis B and lots of people have gotten hep B shots, and in fact, it's now part of the childhood series of shots, because that element, sexuality, was taken out of the hepatitis B shot, lots of people get it. And then when they think about HPV and because it was brought up describing a prevention of a viral infection that leads to cancer related to sex, I honestly think that's probably the biggest hesitation. And I'm happy to be proven wrong. So Mm -hmm. somebody out there, call me and prove me And, you know, I think that if we look at it, that HPV vaccination is cancer prevention. That's what we look at. That's what we focus on. Then we've got the same type of protection, really excellent vaccine that we've got with hepatitis B. Three-shot series over a six-month period, 11- and 12-year-old girls and boys. And um, young men can get it through age 21, and young women can get it through age 26. But I'm thinking that maybe they'll do some testing, and maybe they'll change those ages. You know, sometimes once they do some testing, they figure it can be expanded. That has certainly happened with some vaccines. So, it definitely has. You know, yes. I know the shingles vaccine, which is another exactly. shot out there. Originally, only ages 60 and higher. FDA approved it for 50 and older. Insurance companies still only cover it for 60 and older. But the FDA did expand those indications because they did some more research. Well, I'd be curious to hear from anybody who has an answer to Ashley's question. Why yes to hepatitis B shots, but no to HPV? And you can join us at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877 Three six eight nine. Let's go to Jerry on Maui. Jerry, welcome to the Body Show. Yeah, well, I'm going to put two cents on the question. Uh, you just two cents on first. the question. All right, Jerry. Two and, cents on. In my opinion, they have the wrong pediatrician. Okay. If their pediatrician is not telling them to get HPV vaccine just like they did the Hep B. They should be looking for another doctor. Um, that my son just turned twelve on Friday. And he is skeptical because of people like that anti-vaxxer that called earlier. He's a pretty well-informed young man. So I said, okay, I know who you trust. You've had the same doctor since the day you were born. And we talked to his doctor about it, and he was absolutely clear to him that this is the right health choice for you. And then I was very surprised because you were just talking about the age issue. It turns out, I don't know if he's a bit of a rebel or if he's even allowed to do this, so I'm not going to use a name. <laughs> okay, Jerry. He, he told us he has given himself the shot or the series of shots, even though he's above the recommended age, because he says even though the research isn't substantiated on this, he has faith that if you have HPV that has not yet turned to cancer, that this could possibly prevent it from turning to cancer, even if you're already exposed to HPV. I don't know if you've seen anything on this, but this is, like I said, I've had the same pediatrician for 12 years. I love the guy. I respect him. He's very smart. He's great with my kids. But that one really took me aback. I don't know if you've ever seen anything on that or not. Well, Jared, good point. (laughs) I like the fact that you definitely are 
giving your son the opportunity to, and he's well-informed and educated, and I suspect that has a lot to do with his dad. Um, but, you know, you've given him the option and given him the, the information, and he's made a good choice. Currently, the reason why the vaccination is is not recommended after the age of 21 for boys or 26 for girls is because there's a thought if you're already infected, then there really would not necessarily be any statistically significant benefit to getting a vaccination. Now, could that potentially prevent a cancerous virus from having the body have a cancerous response? Well, I mean, I guess theoretically it's possible. And and so I can't say 100% no. But based on the scientific studies they've done so far, they haven't recommended expanding that age group because of the thought that enough people have been exposed to the cancer-causing virus subtypes of HPV. So vaccination at that point after exposure wouldn't be clinically helpful. However, you know, there's there's always thoughts. And I'll be honest, if, you're, if your child's pediatrician is recommending that he get the shot, and if any kid comes to him and says, well, I don't want to, it hurts, I might have side effects. You know, granted, this is not a good reason, but he can always say, I got the shot, too, and therefore you'll be okay. So yeah. maybe we'll give your uh, pediatrician a little bit of, a, of an excuse on why he might have done that. Um, but technically, it's not recommended, although I'm proud and happy to hear that you gave your son the option, gave him the choice, told him to talk to the person he's familiar with, and went down that route and said, let's do this. So good job, Jerry. I appreciate your call. All right. Thanks. Great show. Thanks. All right. Thank you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Judy Strait-Jones. She's from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition. And we're talking today about immunizations and what we should do about HPV vaccine. And when we come back, we've got a couple more callers on the line. And we'll talk with them about what their thoughts are on this vaccination. And then we'll take some more callers. If you want to join us, you can. 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. On November 2nd, Booker T. Jones, Hammond B3 organ master and legendary composer of such classics as Green Onions and Hang 'em High, shares his music and memories with HBR members in our Atherton studio. If you're not already a member, here's another reason to join. One night only, Monday, November 2nd at 7 p.m. Reserve your seats now for a musical conversation with Booker T. Call 955-8821 during business hours. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak in the studio with Judy Strait-Jones from the Hawaii Immunization Coalition. And right before the break, we were talking to Jerry from Maui, and he was telling us about how he told his 12-year-old son, you know what, good to get prevention. And his pediatrician recommended the vaccination, and his son started on the series. And so excellent for Jerry to know that his son is going to be protected. Judy, your thoughts about the vaccination and giving children the opportunity to make their decision under the guidance of a pediatrician. It sounds like Jerry really empowered his son to be part of this decision. Well, I think it's it's a good idea to empower our kids to make good decisions. Um, My son has, uh, well, he's 20, he will be 26 pretty soon. And so 
from an early age, because I was working in immunization, um, I would, uh, he was in the back seat, and I would put things in the back seat so he could read them. First about hepatitis B. <laughs> Mom's favorite little <laughs> flyers in the back yeah. seat. That's awesome. So he knew, uh, you know, he's reading these comic books about hepatitis B when he was at a very young age. So he had kind of a, uh, a head start from some of the other kids. But, you know, what is interesting is that when my son got vaccinated for HPV, even though I'd been suggesting these are the vaccines that you need to get, he's not at home, he's away at school, he did it on his own. And so I think it's wonderful that we give children the option. However, when it comes right down to it, we want to protect them. And so I think it's also a very good idea to say, you you know, this is what is going to happen. And the fact that the pediatrician was recommending it, very often if a pediatrician or an internist like yourself recommends it, people will get that vaccine. So that's really, really important that doctors recommend it. So that's part of the target audience that we're hoping will come to see this documentary on the 22nd of October. We're hoping that pediatricians come, that uh, parents come and bring their kids. Um, very, very uh, supportive of that. All right, we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. We've got Steve on the line from the Big Island. Steve, welcome to Hi. The Body Show. Hi, thanks for having me. I've uh, been listening with great interest. I was a physician researcher on the original Gardasil vaccine when it came out a number of years ago. And um, a lot of the issues that you guys have talked about are right on. I think Jerry's comment about his pediatrician recommending the vaccine is spot on. The studies have suggested that the people who get recommended the vaccine get it. Uh, people who don't get recommendations don't always give it. This is at a time in life when kids aren't always going to the pediatrician or family physician and thinking about immunizations. And so having the opportunity to get the vaccine by someone who recommends it is the right way to go. Um, I think there are a number of other things that are important to understand about the vaccine. Uh, number one, it does not protect against all strains of cancer-causing vaccine. The original Gardasil vaccine, which was four strains, had two that protected against cancer and two that protected against warts. And if you got the vaccine early, before exposure, it's nearly 100% effective in preventing the infection. And it's because of the, the biology of how the virus infects and it gets into the tissues and becomes pretty stealth once it's infected. And so the antibodies can't really reach the, the part of the um, epithelium of your cell, of your vaginal lining and, and cervix to be able to get any protection once you've already been infected. So it being a cancer prevention is only good if you get it early. If you get it late, it doesn't seem to do anything to protect against the virus when it's already there, and it doesn't do anything to protect against cancer. All right, Steve. So you worked on the original Gardasil, and you said that essentially you got to get the protection before exposure. Otherwise, it's right. just not going to exactly. work. Exactly. And the, the studies, that's why it's not recommended past 26, because most people have become sexually active and have acquired one of the strains of the vaccine. And so the, the, the statistics did not show much in the way of any benefit once you've gotten to the age of 26, because most people have become sexually active by that time. There was one study in the group of college virgins in Seattle, who they were followed every four months from the time they had their first sexual contact with um, HPV screening, looking at for the presence of the virus, and also with pap smears. And within two years, 40% of the women had acquired a, an HPV vaccine infection or HPV infection. And and so that that just shows that it it happens, and it's really highly. Um, it's highly infectious and it's it's highly it's very common in the population if you 
are not immunized against it, you're likely to get it. They have done studies up to people in 45, up, at, up to 45 years of age, and they didn't find enough benefit to warrant the licensing it for that age group, so they kept it at 26. So I'm curious, Steve, you've worked on the original vaccination. What do you say to folks who say, I don't want my child to get it because I don't think they're sexually active, they don't need it? Um, I, I bring up the the high infectiousness of it in that one study of the 40% of, you know, once you become sexually active in the two years, you, 40% of people have the infection. It's mostly sexually transmitted. I mean, yeah, it's possible to get it on skin-to-skin contact, but the vast majority of genital HPV infections come through genital spread. Uh, and that can be skin-to-skin. It doesn't have to be penetration intercourse. It can be just skin-to-skin contact. Uh, and that's why condoms aren't 100% effective is because you can have areas outside the protection of the condom that can cause infection. So, you know, kids who are just, you know, practicing with, with their early sexual experimentation can still acquire it even if they haven't had penetration. Well, Steve, you bring up some really good points. In particular, you worked on Gardasil yourself, and that that scientific work that you put in, the time and effort you put in your career to help discover that and to implement the use of that vaccination saves lives. So thank it, you for it was your pretty exciting time. It's, it's one of those things you get an opportunity to work on something like that, and it's, it's like, wow, what have we done here? We've really come up with something that can prevent cancer, and it was pretty pretty exciting. First virus ever that we can prevent cancer by making sure people are immunized. Now there's also a new vaccine that covers against a few more of those strains that cause cancer. It's a nine-valent vaccine that protects against nine different strains. So hopefully we're going to increase the coverage more than just the two-thirds of the cancer-causing strains and, and come a little closer to defeating some of these cancers completely if we can get people immunized. Well, that's what we're trying to do today, Steve. So thanks for your hard work on the vaccination. Thanks for spending your your career doing that. And we'd love to get more people vaccinated. The rates, according to the CDC, in the state of Hawaii include 34% for girls, 15% for boys, some of the lowest rates in the nation. And so we need to increase those rates, not just to make statistical numbers, but to really know that we are preventing cancer in this population in our future leaders of tomorrow. That's what we've got to do. So thanks for your insight, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you. Judy, we got somebody on the phone who actually worked on the vaccination. That is so impressive. Steve, thank you so much for calling in and for sharing that information about the high infection rate. I mean, we can say that. You worked on it. You know that for sure. So, um, you know, delighted that you called in. Thank you so much. Well, and thanks for your hard work. We all want to prevent cancer. And if there's another way to prevent cancer, if we find that some other sort of a substance causes cancer, we try and protect the public from it. We know asbestos is associated with mesothelioma. It's a lung cancer. We've tried to protect the public from asbestos. So when we find something that's that directly linked with such a scary diagnosis, which although there shouldn't be as much fear, but there is every time you hear the word cancer, We want to protect the public from it, and that's kind of our mission and what we're trying to do. We've got a couple more callers on the line. We have Jack on the line from Kailua Kona. Jack, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, Kathy. This is Dr. Jack. Remember me? I do, Jack. You've done your own self-study on what you feel is appropriate for the body, and we were talking about HPV vaccination. And, Jack, I know you have some thoughts on vaccines and immunity, and so... Uh, I think 
Jack, I think we lost you there, so we're going to go to our next caller, and maybe we'll have a chance to go back. We've got Will on the line from Waikiki. Will, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Hello, Hello. Will. Hello. What can we do for you today? Hi. Um, I think Steve might have covered a little bit what I was uh, calling about. Well, that's okay. Um, so Review is always I mean, good. Yeah, so I actually I'm uh, over 40, and I'm not a virgin, but... Um, I kind of was thinking I didn't want genital warts, you know, so I thought maybe I can get the vaccine. I'm a believer in vaccines. And I looked into it. It would cost me over $1,000 to get it done. It just seems kind of ridiculous since they're, you know, we're not forcing it, but highly encouraging young people to get it. And here I am, and uh, it would cost me $1,000. Well, I hear you, Will. And, you know, when I found out the vaccine was out there, and I was over the age of 26, and I said, maybe I want the vaccine. I want to prevent genital warts and all those scary, horrible things, too. That was approximately the cost. So unfortunately, without having insurance help to cover that cost of the vaccination, there it because of the issues regarding the age limits with what is currently approved by the FDA and the CDC recommendations, you know, if you're over that age, you're just it's just not a vaccination that is going to be something and if you want to spend the money you can but because it's not recommended and we heard from Steve that statistically we didn't see that population get a benefit it's just not much we can do to help you there yeah I don't quite understand that one uh, follow-up thing is uh, I do have insurance so you would think that they would be able to you know, bring the cost down a little bit. Is that their actual cost, $1,000? Well, you know, it's kind of curious, Will, because what happens is that if ever you want something that is not considered covered by your insurance, it may be because they're following the guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA. So, you know, for example, I've had a couple of patients who wanted to get the shingle shot, and they are below the age of 60. It is FDA approved over 50, and they're in their 50s. And they go to get the vaccination, and it costs them about 300 or more dollars to get it. Now, that's the cost with the markup and the administration and all those other things. That's not your wholesale kind of Costco-like price. So, you know, they want to get the vaccination and they have to spend extra money to get it. And that just has to do with the fact that insurance companies are only required to cover what is FDA approved and recommended by the CDC. So they don't have to cover for something if you choose to get it. And there is not current medical guidelines to, to suggest that you need it. Okay, well, thank you again, and uh, I always enjoy your show. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Will. I appreciate it, and I wish I wish we were all under 26 because I'd like to be younger, <laughs> but unfortunately we're not, so we kind of miss the, miss the bandwagon on that vaccine. But, you know, thanks to people like Steve, they researched it, and hopefully we'll be able to protect people in the future. All right, we've got an... We've got another caller. Thanks for joining us, Will. We've got time for one more. We've got Priscilla from Honolulu. Priscilla, welcome to The Body Show. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Thanks for calling. What can we do for you? You know, I, I was listening to Will's comment about it being so expensive, and it just really validated my um, the fact that I got my four children uh, immunized when they were in their early preteens, and they're all four girls. Um, so, but it was, it, like you said, it was because the doctor suggested it in their routine physical. So having that that uh, care and that early suggestion gave me the confidence to, to make it routine and get it done. Um, 
speaking to the earlier callers about it, it being a moral issue and a, and a parent's choice for abstinence, I absolutely raised my children in the church, and, I, and, I, and I've raised them with the idea of abstinence is emotionally, physically healthy. It's, a, it's you know, the best um, approach to life. However, as a parent, I realize that I can't make choices for my children, not for their faith and not for their actions. So I have to do, um, make the best choices for their future to protect them. And the immunization to me seems like it's a no-brainer. Um, and while the insurance is affordable for them, why not? I feel like it's a gift that they'll have as adults. And um, and if and if girls cannot have the, the immunizations past 26, well, this is the time that they have the health insurance. When they're out of college or between jobs, they may not have the insurance to, to get this done. So as a parent, I just feel like this is really a gift um, to my girls. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Priscilla. Judy, I see you shaking your head and doing oh, a little definitely. silent clap for Priscilla <laughs> and her daughters here. Wonderful. Priscilla, you have the right idea. You, you like abstinence, but you also want to protect your kids so that they go into young adulthood and they are protected. Good for you. Very, very nice. Thank you. Well, and Priscilla, thanks for joining us. The other important thing is that, you know, as Senator Baker had mentioned, when the time came that she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, she was given some very, very dramatic options. It was either go have kids right now because you're not going to be able to if we do this procedure that will remove the cervix or remove the cancer. And so, you know, part of what Priscilla's done is give her daughters the opportunity to have children in the future because cervical cancer can make you unable to carry a pregnancy to term. That's right, yeah. And that's really the sad part of it is, you know, we all came here on this planet somehow, and I have a feeling it had something to do with parents. And so with that being said, you know, if you if you want to perpetuate your family line, you're going to have to, to have children at some point. And the only way to do that is if you have a competent cervix and that you will not have if you have to be treated for cervical cancer. So not only has Priscilla helped her daughters, but she's also helped increase the potential of having granddaughters or grandsons in the future as well. And, you know, I like the point that she brought up, which is abstinence is always what we want to recommend. But certainly we want to make sure that that it's also within the terms of you can be abstinent at 12. Please be so. You can be abstinent at 15. That's wonderful. At 18, at 25. However, at some point, you won't be. Protect and them while they're young. Exactly. If you get exposed. and 12-year-olds, yes. Before, Let's get them vaccinated. Right. If you get exposed before yeah. the vaccine, then you won't be able to actually see any benefit from that vaccine. Now, Judy, one of the things that the Immunization Coalition has done is helped to bring about the the screening of this documentary, and it's coming up in October. And for those folks who really have an interest in going, if they've heard us tonight and or they really want to go and maybe that that $5 amount is just more than they can afford, can they can they call you and find a way to be able to join the screening? Sure. They, they could email us. Um, uh, that would be uh, hicimmunizehawaii at gmail.com. 
they could go to our website and uh, they could register. And registering and paying the $5 is two separate things. But, yes, we do have some tickets that we would be most happy to give out to people that want to come to this but really can't afford the $5. Yes. Well, because you mentioned you brought some with you today. And so if people call and mention that they heard about it on The Body Show and they get in touch with you, they certainly, you know, if they've listened and they really are interested in this documentary. We'd love to have them. Yes. Fantastic. Because that's really what we're trying to do is, you know, Part of the difficulty in promoting health is that we do so non-discriminatorily. You know, when somebody comes in to see me as a patient, it does not matter if they are male, female, transgender, homosexual, heterosexual, where they got their cancer from, how they got their disease. They're, they're an individual that's sick, and the medical community wants to make them well and wants to help treat them without, you know, very often... When I remember when I was doing my training, we had people who were prisoners and people who were victims. And, you know, you still take care of both of them. It's not about who committed the crime. It's about who has the worst medical condition. Medicine has to be blinded like that. And and the other thing is uh, we were talking earlier about the cost of this vaccine. And there are programs for people that cannot afford the vaccine for their children. There's the Vaccine for Children's program. And many, many physicians here in Hawaii have that program and can offer the vaccine at a very, very low cost. And if you have insurance for your children and you're under 26, the children are, then there really shouldn't be an issue as far as coverage. I don't believe that there would be. That's correct. Yes. So we've covered a lot of ground, uh, truthfully, about trying to increase the immunization rates of the children here and young adults, because after the age of 18 or some pediatricians say 21, they will often see an internist like myself who just deals with adults 18 and over. And so that's another area where we need to increase vaccination and really increase that discussion. But you would recommend it as an internist if somebody comes in and they're not uh, over the age limit, right? Well, I would want it. I want to kind of be like, (laughs) you know, Jerry's pediatrician in Maui and just give myself the shot, but it's not allowed. So Okay. But I mean, I totally, absolutely. And it may be something you come in for a cold, but by the way, this is an immunization opportunity for you. Maybe you won't get it that day, but it is something you want to talk about and bring Mm -hmm. up. Let's not forget that, uh, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a boost from a internist, from a pediatrician, from your, your own PCP. That really goes a long way. The ultimate goal, preventing cancer. Exactly. Because anybody who's ever been down that route definitely doesn't doesn't want to go down that route again. All right. So tell me again, Judy, if people want to look at your website, where do they find it? Sure. It's uh, org, And uh, they can find information about how to get a ticket, how to register. Tickets are virtual. They won't get a piece of paper or anything, but it's a virtual ticket. We will have, if they register, we will have their name on a list when they come to the theater, the Kahala Theater. On the 22nd at, uh, they should get there maybe about 7.15 or so. And they'll be able to see the documentary. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And also to Senator Rosalind Baker as well for talking about this important topic. That's all for this week. If you want to hear more, you can check out our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show, Mondays at 5. Thanks for joining us.